Welcome to the Endurance Horse Podcast, where endurance riders from all across the globe gather, sharing their stories, goals, and progress as they train for and compete in endurance events at every level. So kick off your shoes, pull up a chair, and listen as we gather around the virtual campfire and listen to friends from across the world. Hello from Wisconsin, and welcome to the Endurance Horse Podcast. I'm Christina Hike. I'm a Wisconsin-based equine photographer who just so happens to love riding her horse down the trail. In episode seven, I am so delighted to bring to you an interview straight from California by one of our New Zealand friends, Jenny Chandler. She had a sit down with Potato Richardson and he went through our standard questionnaire and turned in an awesome file. We're also going to hear from competitors in the great sport of ride and tie, which with a horse named Houdini, I'm not sure I should try ride and tie. Talk to Jim about it, but I'm not so sure that we would find Houdini if we did ride and tie together. We're also going to hear an update from Melissa Coolidge from Coolidge Endurance and a new person to the podcast, Courtney. You'll hear from him. He's a, a pastor who really enjoys ride and tie. And also... Erin Glassman, who is currently driving on her way out to Tevis right now with her horses. And uh, Erin's going to blog about Tevis. I'm going to provide links for you. And we'll talk more about the links that will be uh, in the show notes at the end of the podcast. Without further ado, I would like to welcome you to Episode 7 of the Endurance Horse Podcast. Hi, Jenny Chandler here again from New Zealand, currently in California, USA, and training with Potato Richardson. I'm going to ride one of his horses in the Tevis in just a week and a half now. And Potato's happy to talk to us today about how he initially got into endurance, what attracted him to the sport in the first instance all those years ago, and he says it's going to be a hard choice, but I've asked him to talk about his favourite all-time horse. Over to you, Potato. Well, thank you, Jenny, and welcome to Slugger Mine Ranch. And uh, it's interesting how I got involved in endurance. It was 1972. A friend of mine had a decal on the back of his pickup truck, in a, and he was wearing a Tevis buckle. They were both the same image. And I said, Paige, what is that? He said, that's the Tevis 100-mile one-day trail ride. And uh, I said, that's interesting. Tell me about it. Well, before long, he introduced me to Wendell Roby, the founder of the ride. And uh, we were riding together a lot. Paige was working on his 10th buckle, which is when you finish the ride 10 times, you get a 1,000-mile buckle. And uh, Paige was uh, adamant about training, how he went about it, and so forth. And he lived in a very interesting place in Sacramento, California, called the Ranch Apartments. It had 10 units. In each unit, there's two bedroom, one carport, unfurnished, and a 10-stall barn. Every apartment had a stall in a barn. And uh, it was $25 a month if you had a horse. If you didn't have a horse, you had a hard time getting a place to rent there because you wanted horse people. And we could saddle up there and ride out on the trails around Sacramento on a golf course and so forth. And then on weekends, we'd put the horses in a trailer and drive up to Auburn, California, where the, is the heart, really, of the Tevis ride. And it didn't take me long to, to buy me a horse and, and we're riding with Paige. And I just, my first ride ever was the Tevis Cup in 1973 on an Appaloosa. And that was quite an experience because that Appaloosa had everything you need to ride everything for confirmation and so forth, but he could detect an upgrade better than a civil engineer. And he refused to go uphill many times, especially when he got tired, he'd just flat out stop. So anyway, I rode him on Tevis in 73, the, my very first ride, and we got about halfway through and coming up out of those canyons, he'd go 10 feet at a time and stop. By the time I got to the top of the canyon called uh, devil's thumb, the veterinarians looked at me and he said, that horse is too tired to go on. And I was very glad to hear that because I was tired of pushing him. So a few months later, I went to Virginia City, Nevada, and rode the Virginia City 100 on that same horse. I just figured he needed more conditioning. 
Well, I was wrong. He needed to know how to go uphill, and he would refuse to do that. I finished that ride called the Virginia City 100 in 1973, and that was my first 100-mile buckle, and Tevis was my first 100-mile ride. But I was hooked, hooked big time. The Virginia City ride took me 23 hours and 45 minutes to finish on that Appaloosa, and I tell you what, it was a challenge. It took every bit of determination and uh, perseverance I had to finish in 23 hours and 45 minutes, but I did it. And I finished riding with a fellow named Joel Giroux, who also was riding in Appaloosa. I think we were the only two Appaloosas in the whole ride. But that was the beginning. From then on, uh, Tevis and me have been kind of like hand in hand. I, it's, my life revolves around the Tevis ride. And this year, 2018, will be my, my 23rd buckle when I finish. My goal is to get the 4,000-mile buckle, and that's when you finish the ride 40 times, you get a 4,000-mile buckle, 30 times the 3,000-mile. At this point, there's only two people who have the 3,000-mile buckle. 20 times finish, you get the 2,000-mile buckle, and there must be a half a dozen of us that have the 2,000-mile buckle, including myself. So that's my goal. I figure if I earn that 4,000-mile buckle, I'll be 93 years of age if I finish every year from now until then. So, and by the way, the Tevis ride completion ratio is typically 50%. And uh, as I've stated many times, 65% of the people who don't cross the finish line is due to fatigue of the rider. And the rider is the most important thing because you're riding a horse that depends on you keeping balance and keeping him going right. And if you don't, then the horse can misstep and come up lame and so forth. So that's the trick, being fit, keeping in shape, riding well, and being consistent. So here we are, 2018, and Jenny and I are going to start out here in about 10 days from now, and it's going to be a fun day. It's always been a fun day. I've never ridden the Tevis when it wasn't a, a great ride. I've not completed every time, but my completion ratio is well over 70%. And the average is about 50%. So uh, Jenny's in good hands. And she's riding a good horse, Philouette, who's my one of my prize mares. She's uh, the daughter of Fia de, Fia de Kailana, who won the ride in 1998. And, of course, Philouette won it in 2015. And uh, Fia de Kailana's mother is Kailana, and she was the first to cross the finish line in 1978. So we got three generations of horses that have done very well. The fourth generation just had a baby, and uh, the fifth generation is due any minute. <laughs> so it's kind of exciting here. We've, I've been raising and breeding these horses now for uh, going on 40 years and sharing the experience of the Tevis Trail and the Tevis Ride with people from all over the world like Jenny and so forth is a great pleasure. So I look forward to, to coming to New Zealand and doing a ride, and Australia, both. I've uh, crewed for the Australian team a few times in France and so forth, but uh, I haven't vis visited that part of the world yet. So Jill, uh, Jenny has invited me. She said it'd be a pleasure to have you there, and I'm looking forward to it. So here I'll hand the, the mic back over to Jenny. Thank you for listening, and hope to see you all on the trail. Thank you, Potato. You never quite got around to telling us your favourite horse, did you? All three of them. All three of them, Kilana, yeah. <laughs> de Kilana, the yeah, grandmother, mother and daughter, all Tevis winners. Yeah. Wow, that's a very, real privilege. Thank you. Hi, everyone. This is Victoria from Marvel Endurance in Australia with an update on the team and a recent ride we attended. So in the last episode, I told my story about my rider option pool a few years ago, and the episode before that, I gave a ride recap of the Nanango Heritage Endurance Ride. When I recorded that episode, we had planned to be attending our next competition at the Kilkeven Ride, but unfortunately, that was cancelled just a few weeks out. I think in part because of its proximity to the Queensland State Championships that was on the calendar two weeks before it but also because the main organiser was riding in the 100 mile at state as well. So because we now had a ride off our calendar, we had to do a quick reshuffle and um, not being able to attend the Kilkeven ride through a bit of a spanner in the works for us, but we managed to 
reshuffle and make it work. Instead, we made a spur-of-the-moment decision to attend the state championships. We'd originally intended to skip it because it is being held at the same venue as uh, the Tom Quilty Gold Cup and over the same tracks that they're proposing to run it on. So I personally didn't want to see or ride the track before that event because it's my very first one and I'd like it to be special. After doing the ADK there, I now see that it would have been a mistake not to do it. I came away from the ride feeling a lot more at peace and more confident, I guess, because my mare handled it so well. But I'm getting a bit ahead of myself, so I'll go back to the beginning. We headed out to the ride on Friday, the day before ride start. The 100 mile was due to set off at midnight on the Friday, while the horses in the 80 kilometre would head out six hours later, 6am Saturday. We had four horses in the 80k ride with a bit of a mixture of open and novice horses and riders. There was a bit of pressure on Adriana and I to be doing the 160 on our quilty horses, but we had other priorities, namely getting our novice companions through their ride. So I was on my little bay mare coda. Adriana was riding our newbie Jarzy in his second 80. My sister was on our little Palomino Mizzy for her second 80. And Kat was riding Vegas for what we all hoped would be her last novice. They had had a bit of a rattle a couple of months earlier with a shock bit out at Rocky Bar, so we were all on eggshells for this one. The horses travelled to the ride really well, apart from Jarzy, who managed to get his tail bandage off and rub the top of his tail totally raw, to the point of almost bleeding. Adriana was in a panic because she was thinking she wouldn't be able to ride him but after a hose and we put some antiseptic on it and covered it with zinc, he vetted in nicely and there was no looking back. We were not totally prepared for how cold it was. I'm not being dramatic when I say that there was a film of ice over every surface outside the next morning. I'd only just undone the first strap on Coda's rug and she started to shiver because she was anticipating not having a rug on anymore. We were well into the ride and I mean the 20k marker passed before any of us felt remotely like warm again, even though it had been daylight from the start of the ride. We'd been warned of boggy patches at pre-ride talk the night before. There would be sections of track that were only to be walked on, on pain of possible muscle pulls, so we were being really cautious. But after the first leg, we all came to the conclusion that the track was actually really lovely and soft underfoot. It was not at all concussive and hardly any of the boggy patches were as bad as we were expecting. We all vetted through the first leg and headed out on the second. Cat had been called in to represent Vegas for gut sounds. So she caught up with us at the gate and we all trotted out together again. The second leg was a lot like the first and the horses found it relatively easy going. Though halfway through the season now, I wouldn't have expected any less. Along the way, a friend of mine actually trotted up toward us from up ahead and we all thought the track must double back on itself, but instead she asked us if we'd seen any blue arrows. And um, she was on the third leg of the 160 and she was worried she'd missed a turn somewhere, but we hadn't been looking for blue arrows, so we weren't a lot of help, unfortunately, so she headed off down the trail that we'd just come down looking for a blue marker. We'd only gone less than half a kilometre before we got to the top of a hill and lo and behold, there was a blue arrow. So Adriana and I turned Coda and Jazzy back and we went racing down the trail calling out to Jacinta and thankfully she heard us and came back. So she was on her way again and she and her little gelding ended up vetting through the ride later that day. We all came in off the second leg together and weighed in. I jumped on the scales first and then dumped my gear and grabbed my horse and my sister's. So while she weighed in, I started walking back to our strapping buckets at camp. It took a little longer to strap this time. Mizzy was a little higher than usual, but it was a bit warmer in the day now. Coda was fine too. She usually is, as expected. Jazzy was a little bit high, but we were all mainly concerned about Vegas, so Kat kept her walking so she wouldn't get stiff. Coda, Mizzy and Jazzy all vetted through easily. As I waited with Mizzy during his check, I saw Vegas starting her trot out and I didn't like what I saw and the one step I caught out of the corner of my eye I just I couldn't watch but I decided I had to and I looked up just as she was trotting back and she looked really tired but I really wasn't sure what the vet would say so I gave Mizzy back to my sister and I went over to Cat in Vegas and the vet gave them the all clear 
So we were really relieved. I'm really proud of Kat for sticking with it and persevering because in the end she did it. We had a great time away together as we usually do. We headed home with a 100% success rate for our little team and it's not every day that something ha- something like that happens. But it's the nature of our sport usually that at least one thing would go wrong. So we're really happy with the results that we got from the ride. The horses are all getting a bit of a break before we head off to our next one at Marumba. We hope there that Jazzy will finish his third 80. Adriana's bringing her other horse back into work for it too. He's on the 13-month rule at the moment. So he's got to complete a novice 80k before he can qualify to do the quilty next year. Kat's hoping to do a nice and easy 40k with Vegas and Jasmine and I are aiming for a fast ride with Coda and Mizzy in the 80. Happy riding everyone. Hey everybody, this is Keisha Wood from New Mexico. Usually you hear my stories um, and my adventures with Merlin and my baby Kassan. Well this time I did something completely different. I went and did the Ride and Tie World Championships in California. It was really, really neat. And um, one of the things that I thought was so cool about this is uh, I've never been to one. This is my very first one, completely green in this area. I have a great friend named Susan Smythe who runs this event. I met her through crewing uh, for Tevis the last couple years. And she's told me about coming and doing riding ties and how fun they are because I like to jog or uh, what we call woggle. It's kind of a walk jog, but you just keep moving. And I really super love anything that will help me to better myself um, health-wise for myself and my horse, of course. I don't see how we can ask them to do things that we're not willing to do ourselves. So I try to push myself both physically and mentally because I want to know what they're going through when we do these endurance rides. So the last couple years, Susan's told me about these riding ties. I signed up. I was like, you know what? Let's just go big. Let's do the world championship because... I have to fly to go do any ride and tie because there's not any in this region in New Mexico at all. I've mentioned them or even telling people about them. No one even has any idea uh, what they are. And I wish that was different because it was one of the funnest things I've ever done. For those of you that haven't done it, it's sort of like a relay. And um, what you do, it's, it's an endurance ride. You have to like vet in. You have to do the vet card, the exact same procedures, except for there's one person who will run and one person who will ride. And you always have to swap at the vet check. So whoever comes in with the horse can't leave with the horse. And that was super neat. And it's up to you how you do it. It's, it's all about strategy. And as an example, there was people that did the 32 mile run that did it with a pony or a miniature horse. And they did the entire thing no riding because riding's not required. It's just as truly it's a three uh, person horse, whatever uh, team, and you all do it together. So I um I had to plan for this, of course, financially. I didn't know how uh, bad it was going to be. The registration was a pretty cheap price, I thought, and um, so I registered. And um, also my motivation was you get a buckle because who knows if I'll ever be able to do the Tevis Cup because I'm so scared of heights. However, I'm not going to completely say no because you never know what will happen. And I love challenges. But anyways, back to the ride and tie. Remember, I'm new to all this, so I'm not sure about anything except for I know I'm going to have to camp. I know it's like an endurance ride. I know I don't have a camper. My partner, I had never met before, Miss Susan Smythe uh, connected me with her on Facebook. Um, we talked over Facebook, but we never even talked on the phone. We just kind of kept up with each other on our training, and um, she would send me pictures of her and her horse and what they were doing so that we were prepared. So I show up in Sacramento. The ride was about an hour and 15 minute drive for there. I got a rental car, messaged my partner on Facebook. She was already there. She had drove up from Texas. She lived right outside of Dallas and she loaded her horse up, drove all the way. She really did all the hard work and um, we were ready to camp, meet each other and hang out. So of course we're like thinking, hmm, this is going to be awkward. So I show up and I meet Rita Pritchard. What 
a blessing in my life. Susan Smythe could not have done a better job in partnering me with someone. Rita was a girl after my own heart. And she had an amazing national show horse named Kit Kat. She had worked with, they had um, been jogging together, built up to 30 miles. Kit Kat was ready. She was hydrated. I was worried about that over the traveling. And we seemed to get along pretty good. We vetted in. Kit Kat was a little sore on the front. We had to come up with some boot situation. We found some boots in the bottom of a bucket that had been just found on trail or destroyed. And uh, we put those on. The straps were no longer working. They were renegades. We, we did everything we could to keep those in. We had the vet check her again because she was a little sore on her front. Once we got those renegades on, she was awesome. Rita and I discussed how we were going to do it. We planned to just jog, do whatever we could to take care of Kit Kat because all three of us have to go through together and Kit Kat has to be sound and have um, a passing vet card for us to be able to get our belt buckles. The entire event was so freaking cool. Everybody there was awesome. They are healthy people, runners, people that are endurance riders. It, we just had so much in common with everyone. Everyone was so friendly. The next morning we get up to do the run and or the ride and tie and it was huge. There was uh, 30 ride and tie partners out there. So that's 30 people on a horse, 30 people running at the start. And it was so fun. Everybody took off and we kind of waited in the back because it was new for both of us. And then we left together. Rita was the rider. I was running for at first. And um, beside us was two girls running with a pony. And it was so dang awesome. It was cute and motivational because they both had to run the entire 32 miles and get that little pony through. And they did it. They finished, by the way. So if you are interested in their story, it's so cute. I know that they have a blog on it as well. It was hot. It was hard. But they all did it together and they all completed. And... Rita and I, we traded off when we could. Uh, Kit Kat was a little bit ornery on letting me on whenever I was by myself. So I felt like I had to do a lot of running. And I would say total estimated for running wise, I think between Rita and I, we probably ran at least 20 miles because a lot of times we couldn't ride. And um, it was just best for us to run together to save Kit Kat for the vetting in. That is at the end so that we could have our completion. Well, if anybody runs and has done any marathons, you know, it is not easy. There's always something in there that is so hard, mentally tough. And um, when you're taking care of three people or two people in one horse, it is hard. So I have a whole new respect for the ride and tie folks and their sport. It is not easy. I think one of my biggest challenges was staying hydrated for myself. Of course, I decided to sign up for this big event and I did not know how the water stops are. Was it going to be like a run? And I know there was tons of waters for the horses. Well, the first people water was around mile 15 and I did not carry enough. I ran out and um, I went like four miles without water. By the time I got there, I was ready to drink the horse trough water and um, I'm not joking, but uh, we got there and the people, the volunteers were great. A lot of them were ultra runners. So they had the best pointers to give us like putting ice in our bra just to cool down. And just by looking at us, a lot of them could tell what we needed to eat or drink. They went out of their way to make sure that we were doing good and we were able to finish the ride ourselves. It was hot, it was hilly, it was hard, but it was a blast. We made it. We all three did great. Kit Kat vetted in at the end. She gets the best horse ever award from Rita and I. And Rita and I work so well together. I hope she'll be willing to partner with me and maybe we'll do it again next year. Then at the end, of course, they had this wonderful dinner, great ceremony, and Rita and I got our buckles. It was so fun. I would totally go back. 
People are wonderful. I would look forward to seeing them again. Right after the ceremony, I had to pack up my backpack and I got a hotel so I could shower before I headed home. And I slept amazing. I went to In-N-Out and had a hamburger and a strawberry milkshake to celebrate. And then I caught the plane home and I'm back and I get to tell everybody my cool story and show off my buckle. It was so fun. I'm so thankful I've done it. So if you have a ride and tie in your area, oh my gosh, go. People are wonderful, so fun. If it's not in your area, fly to one. Totally fun, totally worth it. You guys gotta do it. I love all these different sports that we can do with our horses and that we can do for ourselves that are so healthy. My next adventure is I'm doing Fort Stanton limited distance ride as soon as I get home with Merlin. I'll let you guys know how that goes. Thank you so much for keeping up with me and all the things that we're doing and I'll talk to you soon. Hi, this is Melissa Coolidge. This is our third submission to the Endurance Horse Podcast. I actually just got back from a ride in Arena, Wisconsin called Endless Valley. This ride is very hilly, and we also usually have some pretty warm weather to go alongside it. So we uh, just hosed to just do the LD. We took two horses, Jasmine and Zero. Jasmine is an eight-year-old Arabian mare, and Zero is our Mustang. Because of the heat and hills, our Mustang uh, slowed us down a little bit, and we came in 11th and 12th, and uh, Zero at the end did have a little issue trying to pulse down because he's, well, he's still a little chunky. He's a body score of seven, but we're, we're working on that. Um, but even our chunky horse got done in time and, and finished happy and healthy. And then, of course, Jasmine, um, this was her second LD, she actually hasn't been to an endurance ride in a couple of years because last year she uh, she had a foal. So it's been a couple of years since she's been to an event, and she did a great job. So we're pretty excited with how that went. And I guess our next stop for Jasmine is we're hoping to do the Shorter Shore LD. So we're going to do 25 miles a day Monday through Friday in August, and I think that's probably going to be our next event for the two of them. I'm also in the process of taking the horse I took to Biltmore and training her back up for 100. We'd like to take her to Colorama in September. So always thinking about the next step as soon as I get home from the previous step. So that's kind of my MO. I also wanted to thank everybody for the feedback I got around um, you know, sort of overcoming adversity with my ankle. I had a lot of comments both at the ride um, a couple of messages from some people. And I also wanted to give some additional advice about recovering from a chronic injury. So I would tell you that, you know, while I'm able to ride, my ankle is still, you know, it's by no means, you know, no work. It's something I have to work at every day. Um, you have to manage manage the injury and make sure that you have everything together um, so that you can, you know, continue to do the things that you love. So I would say that, you know, I learned a couple of things you know, a couple of lessons during all of this that, you know, had I known them, I think I would have gotten better even faster. You know, one is that your best advocate for your care is always going to be you. And you need to be persistent and vocal. You need to go to as many doctors as it takes to find an answer that's going to allow you to go back to the lifestyle that you love. So I don't care if you're writing or doing something else. You need to be persistent. The other thing I, I really learned is that there's no one one answer. So, you know, I have basically what they call post-traumatic osteoarthritis. And so I basically have no cartilage in my ankle except one little spot, which is what the brace does is kind of puts me over that spot. So, but to get to that level, you know, I had to, I, I had to go to a, quite a few doctors to get to an answer where I knew that I'd be satisfactorily being able to go back to my activities that I love. So... Um, what I want to say is that, you know, a lot of people I've heard, you know, when they have chronic injuries, chronic illnesses, they might wait for, for treatment because they want to wait till they can afford it. It's, it's, you really need to do the treatment as soon as you figure out what your treatment's going to be. My best advice would be to just go get the treatment and figure out how to pay for it later. I know that sounds maybe a little bit, um, financially, um, insolvent advice, but you know, the longer you wait to get treated, the harder it is to recover because all your muscles, everything else has to, has to, you know, recover. And the longer you go without activity, 
you know, the, the longer it takes to recover. So just go get the treatment. I would actually say that I ended up changing jobs. I left a job that I very much loved and took a job where I knew I could make a little bit more money, but, you know, I had to leave my comfort zone and the job I was really happy with to do that so that I'd be able to say that, you know, if I need something that's unconventional or my insurance isn't going to cover it, or even if it does, I knew that I could be able to afford, you know, whatever the treatment that I need, you know, and not worry about it financially. So, you know, that's that's a sort of a choice that I had to make. I've also learned that you should take every option that you have and use them all. So not only do I have a brace, I take... Um, you know, I take supplements every day, MSM, all the joint supplements, you know, I work with, you know, I work out, you know, and I also say that like, you know, riding isn't pain free, I'm just able to do it. But in the beginning, it was very painful. And I had to take, um, you know, the doctor gives you their, you know, they're really, they're really stingy about giving you anything, any, any real pain medicine. But when I needed it, I took it. um, And I generally saved it only for I only took it when I rode. And it basically got me through kind of that scar tissue area because you have to kind of break up scar tissue if you've had a chronic injury. And, um, you know, now I can actually ride with just with, with nothing or, you know, when I did this LDM and I do longer distances, I generally take, you know, two Advil before I, I go out. So I also use compression socks to help me deal with the swelling and sleep with my foot elevated and I ice every day. So, you know, I just, just take all the toolbox tools in your toolbox and use them aggressively you know, to sort of manage the injury that you might have. So I just wanted to, you know, give people kind of a, you know, understanding that it's, it, you have to work at it. It's not, you know, it's not something that you can just go do like you used to do. But, you know, the one thing I can say is that I can ride at the same level I've ridden at before and I feel fine when I'm riding. So while it takes some work and it takes some doing, um, it's very doable. So I just wanted to give people some hope because, you know, I think a lot of people try something and then, and then it doesn't work, and then they quit. Heck, I did that. What I really learned is that management is sort of a holistic thing. You know, it's diet, it's supplements, it's, you know, it's exercise, it's, you know, it's finding the right care. You know, we, uh, my parents gave us their old hot tub. I use that a lot. I use ice a lot. I elevate, I actually have a, I call it the cheese wedge, but I have a pillow where I elevate my foot all the time. But, you know, you just basically have to, have to manage it, and then you'll probably be okay. So I want to give people some hope, but I also want people to know that you can't assume that something didn't work. You know, I always feel like it's like, um, it's like a ratchet. So if you do one little thing and it makes, your, it makes you 5% better, and then you do another thing that makes you 5% better, and another, and another, and another, all of a sudden you're 80%, 80% there. And for me, that means I can ride, and I can ride fine. So that is kind of my, my I don't know, my, so, my story for today. Um, I'm getting excited about, uh, getting, you know, getting ready for the next thing. Hopefully our horses do well at shore to shore. I think our farrier comes next week to put shoes on. So that's kind of our, our, our next, our next plan. So have a great day. It was great talking to you. Hope to hear from you on the trail. Bye-bye. I'm Courtney Kruger. I live in Cleveland, Tennessee, which is just outside of Chattanooga, Tennessee, and I'm pastor of the First Cumberland Presbyterian Church in Chattanooga. And my endurance sport is ride and tie. And as your listeners may know, ride and tie has two humans and one horse instead of like most endurance. It just has the one human and the one horse. And you alternate riding and running while you tie the horse to the tree in the meantime, kind of leapfrogging over each other over an endurance course. And I started endurance back in 2011 when my daughter Sarah was 15. And she and my wife were deep into endurance riding. And she came to me and said, Dad, you're a runner, but you don't really do any horse riding. But if you will learn to to ride a horse, then you and I can be a riding tie team. Well, your 15-year-old daughter tells you that uh, she wants to do something with you. And it's just a a no-brainer. And so I said, okay, I'll learn to ride a horse. I had zero interest before then in riding a horse, and I have fallen so hard since then. And so Sarah and I were a team for uh, several years, and we had some just amazing experiences. Uh, one time, I think it was our second race, our horse Cruz, who now has well over a thousand endurance miles or a, a riding time miles, uh, he got loose when Sarah tied him and was uh, lost at Big South Fork in Tennessee for about 
five or six hours, I guess, until we finally found him. Uh, and since he was my wife's horse, both Sarah and I were very, very worried about it during that time, as of course she was as well. But all's well that ends well. There's another time that I was racing with my brother-in-law, Mark Landers, and uh, we got a little bit separated, a little bit confused, and I was convinced he was behind me on Cruz on the horse, and I was on the ground, and I ran right past Cruz. He was standing practically on the trail, and I ran right past him. That was also at Big South Fork, as a matter of fact, and it turned out that a couple of endurance riders came by a little while later. And I mentioned to them that I was looking for a gray horse and a rider. And they said, we don't know about a rider, but there's a gray horse tied about a half a mile back. And I had to turn around and run back and, and get Cruz. And so in the early days, we just had some great times. And uh, then uh, Sarah went to college and I kind of lost her as a partner. And so my brother-in-law, Mark, and I began partnering. And also a friend of ours, Carrie Barris, began partnering with me and uh several years ago carrie and i won the national points championship for man woman team and the same year mark and i won the national points championship for man man team and now we've won it two more times since then and have had a real good season so far this year and so we hope we're on track for a a fourth uh, man man team national points championship uh, this year i have been riding our newer horse his name is coda and uh, Lee and I, my wife, bought him for each other as a 50th birthday present for each of us. And Coda and I are just perfectly matched. We both just love to go. Uh, sometimes when I'm riding other horses and riding higher endurance, I kind of feel like I'm having to ride the gas the whole time, keep them motivated. Coda, almost all the time, I feel like I'm having to ride the brakes because he just wants to go, go, go. And he is so strong. And uh, this year, unbelievably to me, Coda and I are 6-0 and o with three different partners, and it has nothing to do with me and my running ability. It has everything to do with how fast and how capable Coda is. And really, in riding tie, I always thought it was kind of your slowest runner kind of dictates the pace, but Coda is so fast and he does so well that, that he catches up between the runners when we're separated and he makes up for our deficits and he has just been amazing. Uh, the last race we raced was at um, Black Mountain in North Carolina and Mark and I, my brother-in-law, ended up finishing about 20 minutes ahead of the next uh, team. And some of that was some of the other teams got a little bit lost uh, turned around on the course, as of course that can happen in endurance. And Mark and I were lucky enough that we only had one small bobble uh, like that. And uh, so we, we got a little bit of time that way, but so much of it was just how powerful Coda has been. And since he's 6-0 and this year, I've been teasing and saying that Coda is kind of the justify of the riding tie world this year, because so far, of course, justify the triple crown winner is 3-0. and I mean, it's 6-0 and as well. Of course, he's 3-0 and in the triple crown. And so that's where Coda is as well. Uh, I almost am afraid to say this because I don't want to jinx us, but we really have the East Coast Championships, which are coming up in August, in our sights, and we're hoping that we can really compete well there. Uh, I've not won a lot of races over the years. It's just kind of been the dogged persistence, collecting points over mileage and finishing races and that kind of things that has allowed me to be a national points champion. But but now with Coda this year, I'm, I'm hoping maybe we can actually win the East Coast Championship and actually have probably a decent, uh, uh, not a decent, but an outstanding season. Uh, riding tie, it's amazing how deep into this sport I am, how deep into horses I am, when in 2011 I had zero interest in horses. Lee and I moved, my wife is Lee, we moved to Chattanooga, or to Cleveland rather, in uh, 2015, and bought a little horse farm up here, which I never had any interest in, never thought we would do, and we have our three Arabian horses and a retired uh, saddlebred um, uh, quarter horse cross that live on the farm with us. And we are just uh, deep into the horse culture. My wife already was, but but she has really kind of sucked me in with riding tie, and I'm so thankful for that. Uh, so that is my story. I'm hoping to have a great rest of the year, and thank you for being interested in, in putting some riding tie stories on the Endurance Podcast. I've really enjoyed listening to your podcast. I'll uh, talk to you guys later. Bye-bye. everybody it's Keisha Wood from New Mexico I just wanted to give you guys a quick update on what's going on with Merlin and my baby Kassan and um, what's new in our life 
Well, it's the 19th of July and I feel it's important to mention that not everything goes so great in the endurance world and that even means with us personally because with Facebook and everything, everybody's life can look so grand. Well, um, a personal story for myself is a couple months ago, I found a lump in my breast and I went to the doctor and the doctor had me go uh, get a mammogram and um, I ended up getting a biopsy and the biopsy came back as it was irregular and it was some sort of tumor and I have been terrified uh, since then and so uh, immediately I got a, a appointment with a university in New Mexico breast cancer center and they have been prepping me and making sure that uh, we come up with the, the right ways to handle this situation if uh, they remove the tumor and it was malignant or if it was benign what I was going to have to do. But for some reason this lump showed up and it was growing and all I could think about was my family, my boys, my horses, what's going to happen if um, everything is not okay. So I've been struggling really hard with meeting my goals and trying to push through just the depression and the negativity that goes along with all of this. I also know I'm not the only person in the world who has to deal with this kind of stuff and this happens all the time. And you wonder how do people do this? What do you do to keep moving, to keep motivated? I just decided to act like it wasn't there. I figure if I don't speak it, then it's not really happening, right? You just truck on forward with every single thing you have to face every day. I stuck to that at first, and then as things get closer to me having to get my surgery, which was scheduled for the beginning of this month, I started talking about it to people and kind of letting them know my fears. That turned out to be one of the biggest blessings. When I was at the ride and tie, and I confessed this to my friend Rita, my partner, she told me how much that meant to her because she also was struggling with some personal things and her dedication towards our team was so strong because I held my dedication and she wasn't about to give in. When I returned to New Mexico, I was scheduled to get my surgery right smack in the middle of the Fort Stanton Endurance Ride, which totally put a damper on everything because I wouldn't be able to do the Pioneer Ride. Oh, woe is me, right? I actually was super bummed about it because I felt I could do it. But guess who couldn't? Merlin. With all this feeling sorry for myself and downtime and sleeping instead of riding, he was definitely not ready to do a 50. And I'm not really sure he was prepared to do 325s in a row. Fort Stan is a very hard ride. So instead, I focused on making some ride awards and turtle awards, which I have so much fun doing because it's just painting rocks, which is so relaxing and so much fun. And it's so exciting to see people post them on Facebook like they're the coolest thing in the world after the ride. I did only a few training rides on Merlin beforehand. And we're still having saddle fit issues, so I wasn't quite sure how to handle all of that. I got to the ride. I had an amazing camp spot. Merlin vetted in awesome, and we were ready to do the limited distance ride. We got up the next day, and there was a huge amount of horses at the beginning because the 50s and the limited distances all started together. I loved it. It was so much fun. The ride was beautiful that day and Merlin did so great. The funnest part was I got to ride with these two girls from Texas, Valerie Bixler and Robin. And sorry, Robin, I can't remember your last name, but those girls made me laugh so hard and I had such a great time riding with them. I also got to tell them my story because I was freaking out because I had surgery scheduled in like two days. It's funny how whenever you're riding with people or you meet endurance people, sometimes it feels like you've known them forever. And I needed to meet these two girls that day. I enjoyed every single mile with them and just their encouragement was just amazing. They both allowed me to vet in first, which was super cool. And Merlin did great. He was tired though, and it worked out in his benefit because he was not ready to do 
the Pioneer. The Ford Stanton ride is very tough and he had not had the training required due all three days. I want to mention too that you always meet great people at the rides and sometimes it's like a family reunion when it's people that are from out of town and the Potters were there. Blake Potter is awesome and he helped me with the saddle fitting and I tried a specialized saddle before going on that ride and it worked perfect after Blake fit it. I like to say Merlin is a thoroughbred with a short back. He actually has the highest withers ever, and he is a Russian Arab, as y'all know, but he has the short back and the highest withers, so I'm having a, such a hard time. But it looks like we may be going with Specialized, so we will see more to come on that. Packed up, we got home, and I got my surgery. It actually turned out to be a blessing. When I went to the hospital, they thought it was on both sides, but at the hospital, they did another mammogram. They couldn't find anything on my left side, so I did not have to have anything removed. And on the right side, they were able to remove that tumor. It was a pretty big spot, but who cares, right? And then a couple days later, I got the call that it was benign. And instantly, I felt better. Yes, the surgery has not been fun. The medication makes me sick, but I'm benign, it's benign. So um, I get to put this behind me. However, through all of this, one of the things that made me realize is not everybody gets to put it behind them. And getting to go to the surgery center and the breast cancer center and seeing the people there, it has really made me realize that is some people's reality. They don't get the call that it is benign. And I only had a little taste of what they face. I'm still healing. And next week, I'm going to Tevis to crew for my mentor, Cressy Drummond. And all of our team, the Green Bean team, the Windriders, are going to be there. Over the months of June and July, I think more than anything, I have learned and realized I am so blessed. The people in the endurance world are amazing. Whether you have met them and known them for a long time, whether you've known them for just a few days, or you meet them on trail like I did Robin and Val, I am so thankful to be a part of a sport that is so caring and united. I can't wait to go to Tevis and see all of my friends finish that and to be there for our mentor together. Until next time, guys. Hi, my name is Erin Glassman. I'm from Hutchinson, Kansas. Here in Kansas, it's been very hot and humid. Temperatures in the upper 90s, low 100s. We've had a few little storms here and there, but nothing major in, in our area, fortunately. The weather itself hasn't totally affected my riding. I honestly have been doing just a lot of long, slow distance when we do ride this late in the game um, prior to going to California for the Western States trail ride. At this stage in her conditioning, if we're not ready, doing a lot of speed work isn't going to do anything great for us. And I don't want to wear her out right before we go and do 100 miles. So I wouldn't say it's the weather necessarily that's affecting the riding. We have been purposely going out and getting into the heat and humidity so that it will help with uh, altitude and also the heat that we're going to encounter out west. Rio is my 14-year-old mare. She is three-quarters Arabian and one-quarter Tricaner. She's registered as a half Arabian. I've had her for about six years now. I got her from Stephen Priscilla Lindsay with Prairie Sylvania Arabians. I had since buying her gotten involved with their breeding business, so I'm also now a, a part of Prairie Sylvania Arabians. She is a sweet mare. Um, she is very loving. She connects very well. She does want to please, but she also has this little defiant mode that I also see in her. I lately have been calling her more of um, a queen. She somehow has this regal air to her lately. Um, she went out with me last year to California and she did successfully complete the Western States trail ride. We were second to last but I did not care whatsoever. We had 10 minutes to spare and we got our money's worth. I got into horses as a small child, my dad had one when I was growing up, and he would take me out in our fields and in parades and just ride, and I fell in love with it then. We had to sell him um, due to financial reasons, and as soon as I got out of nursing school, oh, about 
20 years later, I started taking lessons. I decided I wanted to be a really good writer. Um, I'm still working towards that goal. And anyways, I rode quite a bit, um, almost daily, when I got into um, leasing and then owning my own horses. I bought Cisco about 14 years ago, and I rode him a ton. And through the stable I was boarding at, I met a lady named Jackie Hathorn, and she introduced me first to competitive trail riding with North American Trail Ride Conference. And then the next year, she took me to my first endurance ride. We completed our first 50. We were both tired. Cisco was tired. I was sore for about three days afterwards. Um, I joked around I was more lame than he was. He wasn't lame at all at that point. And I finished, and after we got through and I knew that I had a 50 under my belt, I was pretty well instantly hooked. I had already been pretty well addicted to distance riding, starting out with competitive trail riding. I enjoyed the amount of time that we spent in the saddle and the relationship you build with your horse. I think that's the biggest thing that keeps me in endurance and just accumulating the miles, um, the community that we get involved with is spectacular. The people that you meet are just so incredibly inspiring. Uh, I've got some really great friends that I've met through this sport that I would consider family and we might as well be of the same blood really because we all have that same passion for horses and the same care and that need for distance and, and the time in the saddle. Um, I oftentimes liken our ride camps to like a band of gypsies or a band of vagabonds that meet up um, that we convene every so often to celebrate our horses. This year I'm going out to California. The ride that I want to do is the ride that Rio is capable of first and foremost. She is my priority. Whether we get five miles down the trail or we go the whole hundred, I'm going to be happy with what she does uh, because her safety is, is just the utmost for me. Um, I, I want to have this mare as long as she will be around for me. So conditioning wise, I feel like we've been doing really good. I If we do get to go the full distance, I would like to try to get a little bit better cushion in terms of time rather than leaving it till 10 minutes till the clock runs out. Uh, We had a couple of incidents that we got involved with, not directly, but just kind of uh, slowed down from on the trail last year. And I think I would have probably been in another 30, 45 minutes earlier had that not have occurred on two different instances. It was exciting. Uh, Last year, uh, I couldn't believe the euphoria that I felt after finishing 100 miles. That was my first 100-mile ride. Hopefully not my last. Um, The distance itself is just incredible. I wondered if I would be tired during the ride before I had completed it. And, you know, honestly, there was a small window of time that I was a little bit fatigued, but... I think really the energy of the day, the excitement of being there, the magic of it all really kept me going the whole time. My personal goal with going out to California and to Auburn is I'd like to go as many times as I possibly can, whether it be riding or volunteering, because I really feel like it's such a great ride. Um, It's a very exemplary ride for endurance. There's a lot of difficult terrain. You really have to manage your time. You really have to manage your horse. There's a lot of planning and a lot of thinking that goes into it. And some of that is another portion of what I truly enjoy about endurance is that you really have a lot of strategy that you have to employ in order to finish. I love being out in California, out in Auburn. It is the endurance capital of the world and rightfully so. Uh, Really, the Western States Trail Ride is the granddaddy of all endurance rides and was the starter for our modern day endurance. And to be on that trail and to be a part of history, really, it feels just incredibly overwhelmingly inspiring. Um, It makes you just keep wanting to move forward and keep wanting to get more miles under your belt.
Hi there, it's Chris again. You know, when I started this podcast, I had no idea the connections that would be made or the ways in which it would eventually touch the lives of some of us, and myself included. I have heard stories of young moms brought to tears while listening because it gave them hope to hear other riders returning to the sport after so many years of being away. I have had messages sent to me thanking me for this podcast, that it was great to listen to while doing chores or cleaning house or driving long distances that it helped the miles go by. One such message that stood out to me was that one rider was thankful to have the podcast to listen to while she was waiting at the hospital for news on her loved one's surgery. As you can imagine, waiting in itself can be anxiety-ridden and painful, and she was able to be transported away from that hospital for a little while by listening to the podcast. It helped ease her anxiety while waiting. Recently, I found myself sitting alone, waiting in a doctor's office in a room that was very plain and sterile and nondescript exam room, and I was in there for quite a while, filling with great worry, while Jim was in another room undergoing some fairly painful testing to add to the other testing he had had done with a CAT scan and whatnot earlier that day. So while he was in one room going through pain and anxiety, I was filled with anxiety, worrying about him, worried about what the test results would be, and worried about the pain he was going through. As so many of us do, to make the minutes go by faster, I pulled my phone out of my purse and I checked my email and tears filled my eyes as I listened to some very personal things that Keisha shared in her update. And sometimes timing is just everything. Here we were, miles apart, never met her, and yet I was moved to tears because somehow the timing of receiving her message was exactly at the moment I was sitting in that exam room. I want you to know Jim is doing well. The thing that we were worried that this was, it was not. It was something less worrisome and that is able to be handled with surgery. And he has his surgery scheduled for August and says not to worry that everything is going to be fine. If one of you that is listening right now happens to be at Tevis this week, could you please find Keisha Wood and give her a big hug from me? Keisha is so amazing. She's been such a blessing in my life, even though we're states and states apart. And I also want to say to you, Keisha, I'm so glad that your surgery went well, that your test results were in your favor, and that you're able to go on and live your life the way you have been, doing the things that you love. I wanted to let you know that you're such an encouragement. Cheer Cressy on from us, from everybody here that listens to and participates in the podcast. We know that she is in great hands with the Wind Riders as her crew. To all the riders listening who are about to take on the granddaddy of all endurance rides, may your views be breathtaking and your memories be treasures. We're sending you much love and wishes for happy trails from the Endurance Wars podcast. I'd like to encourage everybody to check out the blogs of some of these wonderful riders that participate in the podcast. All of the links are in the show notes. You can find those on iTunes or also on Podbean. Keisha's blog has a name that is easy to remember. Don't forget to hold on. So if you look for uh, a quick Google for don't forget to hold on, you'll find Keisha's blog. And Jenny, uh, Jim wanted me to be sure to tell you, and I'm sure he speaks for all of us who are listening, he wanted to say again, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for recording the interview with Potato. Jim enjoyed listening to him, and he wanted me to thank you from both of us. Um, and if we could say more, please. Uh, if you if you get a chance, we know you are busier than any of us can imagine, but if you so happen to be able to talk to him again and record it, we would all be forever thankful. You are all so amazing. It never ceases to make me smile hearing from people with like passions. And I, I must point out, Aaron, I was at first in awe and then just smiling that you describe a ride camp the same way I do as a band of gypsies. Though I really like the added twist that you have. 
a band of gypsies that occasionally gets together to celebrate our horses. I just think that that's completely beautiful. Until next time, may you always find beauty in your ride and enjoy the journey. We enjoyed having you along for the ride. Endurance Horse Podcast is where you get to share your adventures of riding good horses through beautiful country. Many stresses in life are washed away by a good gallop, a steady trot, or by simply saddling up your favourite horse for an easy ride. Remember, every mile a memory. To share your story on Endurance Horse Podcast, send an email to endurancehorsepodcast at gmail.com.